If you would, please turn in the Bible to the book of Zechariah. Zechariah, it's a minor prophet in the end of the Old Testament. Uh, the last book of the Old Testament is Malachi. The one before that is Zechariah. If you can find the Gospels, the beginning of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, just go backwards a little bit and you will get to Zechariah. We've been going through the minor prophets for a long time now. There are 12 of them, so we're almost finished. We're on the 11th. And uh, we've enjoyed them. They're often, they're often heavy books dealing with um, the seriousness of God and uh, his view of our wayward lives and our sin. But they are full of hope in him and his loving forgiveness that he offers to all that will turn to him. And we've gotten to Zechariah now. Uh, we've been here already for several weeks Last week we took a break with it being Mother's Day and now we're back. We're gonna start chapter two today and it's the third vision. Zechariah is particularly um, challenging because it begins with eight different visions that Zechariah sees and today we're gonna look at the third, the third one. I wanna remind you that the minor prophets are not minor in their significance. We just call them minor because they're little, they're small. There are some major prophets in the Bible like Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel. And they're big, long books, lots and lots of chapters there, lots of pages. They're long, so we call those major just to kind of sort it out. But this, um, these minor prophets, the last 12 books of the Old Testament are small, not very long at all. So we call those minor. Major in significance, minor in volume, not a lot there. But they are loaded they're very helpful, and we often overlook them, but they are really, really good. You're gonna see today from our third vision in Zechariah chapter two that this is really, really good, and we're gonna see what God is doing, and may you be encouraged by that. I have been now for quite some time a fan of competition. It really doesn't matter what it is. I like to see people compete not so much for the winning or losing. I don't worry too much about that. I don't even really care. I can honestly say that the, the win is not what's enjoyable, but the, the, the fighting or the competing is what is enjoyable. And I found that when you get a group of people together, this is just really, really common, right? Uh, the competitive juices get flowing, so to speak, and uh, people will argue over how good they are, how strong they are, how fast they are, how big they are, things like that. Um, and it's cool because in a competition, you can tell people to stop all the talk and then just put their money where their mouth is, right? If somebody says that they can run this fast, you can say, well, let's go do it, right? If somebody says that they can do that many push-ups, then we can say, show us, because there's a way to measure those things, right? There's a way to measure those things. I like to run my mouth a lot with the younger people here. You kind of have to to stay young when you're getting old like I am. And just a couple Wednesday nights ago, I was telling anybody I could find that I thought that I could beat them in a race and I would love to race them. And so Wednesday night, church got over and we went outside and I raced in a sprint from like the length of the parking lot, anybody that wanted to race. And I didn't win a single one. I lost to guys older than me, younger than me, healthier than me, less healthy than me. I lost to girls. I lost to a middle school girl in a sprint just the other Wednesday night. And you know, you can say all you want to about how you're gonna win or how fast you are, but then somebody can say, well, let's, let's measure it. 
I remember being a, a kid living at home still, and my mom would always joke with my dad about his weight, and she'd say, I think, I think you're putting some weight on. And he'd say, no, I'm not. I, he'd say something like, I weigh 190. This is the weight I weighed when I graduated high school, and I still weigh the same. And she'd look at him like, you don't weigh the same that you weighed in high school. I'm pretty sure of that. He'd say, yes, I do. I know that I do. And then she would say, Josh, go get the scale. And he wouldn't get on the scale. He'd say, I don't need to weigh myself. I know how much I weigh. I weigh the same that I weighed in high school. I don't need to. And see, that's what I'm getting at. You can measure those things, can you not? You know, guys like to argue about how tall they are. You know, there's a huge difference between 5'11 and a half and six feet. Huge difference, right? Guys will argue about how tall they are. And I brought a tape measure today. And y'all know what this is, right? Everybody knows what this is. I'm not much of a handyman, but every once in a while, I'll just put one of these on my belt and walk around the house to make Val think that I am. <laughs> but the cool thing about this is regardless of how big you think something is, one foot, two foot, three foot, six foot, eight foot long, no matter how long you think your wingspan is or how tall you are, we can go and measure it to the exact, right? We can tell you exactly how tall you are. I love to hear young guys argue about who's taller, right? And you can measure it out. We have things like this. We have, a, we have a stopwatch so we can time how fast somebody does something. We have a scale so we can see how much something weighs. We have uh, yardsticks or tape measures. We can see how far something is, right? I'll never forget. My kids had field day just last week at their school. They go to Fairdale Elementary School. And they had field day last week. And I reminded them of this story that I've never forgotten about in fifth grade. They had a when I was in fifth grade, which would have been forever ago, they had a throwing contest at our school. Who could throw a baseball the farthest? And when I was in fifth grade, I thought, for sure, I can win this thing. And I got up there, and I threw that ball as far as I could. And the truest story, I've never forgotten it, I reminded my boys, a fourth grader, when I was in the fifth grade, out threw me. I've never forgotten that. I'm still bothered by it. And I reminded my sons that even if you think you can throw the ball far, they're going to measure it, right? And the Bible tells us today that there are people trying to measure what God is doing in the world. This is an interesting vision. There are people trying to measure what God is doing in the world. If you read the Bible, you will find out that God is spirit, and God's worship of him is done through the spirit. It's what God is doing in the world, and it is not what we are doing in the world. Even if we are doing something in the world for God, the only true worship thing that's done is done by God's power working in and through this, and so, any and all attempts to measure what God is doing in the world must take into consideration that we cannot recognize all that God is doing in the world. And if we cannot recognize all that God is doing in the world, then we will not be able to measure it. You must know this. It is such our tendency to boast of numbers and size and amounts and things, and yet I think so often we are missing the mark either in the good or in the bad. I think a lot of times when we think God's not doing much, he's up to so much more for he's working in the spirit behind the scenes. 
I think a lot of times when we're boasting about how much we've done, we need to take a step back realizing that we think we've done it and perhaps God did not do that. We are unable to measure all that God is doing. And in our passage today at Zechariah chapter two, this very thing is what comes to mind. Read with me, if you will, in Zechariah chapter two. And I, that's Zechariah the prophet, I lifted my eyes and I saw and behold a man with a measuring line in his hand. So remember, this is not an angel he's seeing. This is not God that he's seeing. He has seen angels. He's going to see an angel in a little bit. But this right here is a man. It's a man walking around with a tape measure, walking around with a yardstick or one of those bigger, longer tape measures that's like the big, long rope that they can pull out to measure a very long distance. He says, I saw a man with a measuring line in his hand. And so I said to him, where are you going? What are you going to measure? If you saw me carrying this around, walking through, you'd say, what are you doing with that? And where are you going? What are you going to measure? And that's exactly what's happening here. Zechariah sees a man walking around with a tape measure, a measuring line in his hand, and he says to him, where are you going? And look at this answer. He said to me, to measure Jerusalem, the city of God, to see what is its width and what is its length. I want to measure how big the city of God is. I want to have a grip of it. I want to have an idea of it. I want to see how big it is. And this is the way that we think all the time. He's wanting to have an idea of just how big the place is where God's people are to be. That's what he's thinking. Is Joe here? Can y'all hear that? I don't even want to look. (laughs) All right. This is how we often are. We, we want to think about these things physically. This man here he sees in the vision is wanting to get a grip on what is this like. We tend to think of spiritual things physically so that we can kind of get our hands around them. And the Bible doesn't want us to. The Bible wants us to embrace that God is spiritual. Our faith is in something that we cannot see. We hope in something that we cannot see. But though we would love to measure, right? We want so badly to be able to say, how many Christians are there in the world? How many churches are there in the world? And we look for numbers on these things. How many unbelieving people are there in the world, right? We hear those type of numbers. And I think what we need to admit and we need to accept is that try as we might to just get an estimate on those things, we don't really know. This guy's going to measure Jerusalem, but he's thinking physical. He's not so much thinking spiritual. Now, you know that there is a physical Jerusalem, and there was a physical people of God, a Jewish people, a nation of of Israel, like like there still is, but the Bible wants us to get past that and to think spiritually. 
The Bible wants us to hear the words of Christ when Jesus says that his kingdom is not of this world and that everybody that is Israel is not Israel. That the true people of God or the true Israel are those who trust in the Savior for the forgiveness of sins. And we are to be a spiritual people. Jesus has said that the only worship in the world, anybody, even though they try to worship, the only true worship in the world is the worship that is done through spirit and in truth. God's spirit working through us to embrace his truth that Jesus is Lord. So this man goes out to measure. Nothing wrong with that. He's trying to measure the city of Jerusalem. Verse three. And behold, the angel who talked with me, so now here's the angel. He's been talking to the angel in the previous chapter, chapter one. He's already seen two different visions. He's having interaction with an angel. And now's a good time for me to remind you, this is not a dream. There are dreams in the Bible. is gonna have a dream later on here. This is a vision. He's awake, he's alert. God is showing him something. The angel that he's talked to before comes to him. And behold, the angel who talked with me came forward, and another angel came forward to me and said to him, run and tell that young man. Does everybody see that? Run and say to that young man, okay? So he sees a man, tape measure. Hey, where are you going with the tape measure? I'm going to measure Jerusalem. I want to see how big it is. Angel shows up. Another angel shows up and says, hey, go run that guy down. Here's why. Jerusalem shall be inhabited as villages without walls because of the multitude of people and livestock in it. Go tell that guy that he's not going to be able to measure it. Go tell that guy that as he measures the actual Jerusalem, the spiritual Jerusalem or the spiritual people that would inhabit the spiritual Jerusalem is so much greater than that. Go tell him that it cannot be measured. Wow, what a thought. That raises a big question. How and why? Well, look at verse five. And I will be to her a wall of fire all around, declares the Lord, and I will be the glory in her midst. So we have here some logistical questions about Jerusalem, the spiritual Jerusalem that cannot be measured. Here's a guy with a tape measure. He's running to measure Jerusalem. You know that cities are marked off by their walls, and they especially were historically. So there are walls all around Jerusalem, and he's going to measure that because he's seen that, and he wants to measure that. But the angel's answer is, hey, run and tell him. And the running begins to, to tell us about this urgency to do this. He says, run and tell him that Jerusalem will not have walls. You see that? Well, there is a Jerusalem that has walls, but he says, run and tell him that it will not have walls. It will be a city without walls, meaning it's going to be bigger than that, meaning that it's going to be spiritual, meaning that God is thinking about the spiritual more over and above that he is thinking about the physical. And so now you have this city without walls. And why without walls? Because there's going to be a multitude of people. The Bible is very consistent on this. 
This is why we are a people who love the, the inclusion of all types of people from all types of places and all types of looks and all types of cultures and all types of languages because the Bible wants us to understand that multitude of people is the type of God that God is. The Bible tells us that God is a God and Father of people from everywhere. There is not a piece of dirt on the planet where God is not drawing people from. There is not a language on our planet where God is not drawing people from. There is not a language on the planet, a culture on the planet that God does not know and understand and work through and God is not being worshiped through them. A multitude of people is so important to understand and it is for this reason that he says you cannot measure it. But... As soon as you start to think about a city with walls, you know that the walls are not for measuring. That's not why they put the walls up. You and I think a lot about measurements. Again, we're so big on numbers. But that's not why cities build walls. You know why cities build walls. For protection. So that we can guard who gets in and so that we can guard who gets out. Big, tall stone walls that nobody can get over, that nobody can get out. Big, tall walls that just have entrance ways, and we guard the entrance ways. That's what cities do, or that's what cities did. And so, while it's an awesome, encouraging thing to hear, wow, God says that you can't measure it. The angel comes and says, hey, Zachary, you better go tell that fella he can't measure Jerusalem. It's spiritual. It's a multitude of people. He's not going to be able to measure the people of God. That sounds awesome. But as soon as God says, a city without walls, the amount of people is a good thing, but the lack of security sounds concerning. So what do we do? What does it mean? Well, look at verse five. I will be to her a wall of fire all around, declares the Lord. And I will be the glory in her midst. God, speaking through this angel, tells the man desiring to measure Jerusalem and tells Zechariah, who's observing all of this, this is his vision that he's seeing, that God's people, God's place will not be able to be measured. It will be a multitude so big that it cannot be measured. There's not a, there's not a, a, a counting pad. There's not a yardstick. There's not a stopwatch that's gonna contain the size of the people of God. And as soon as we begin to worry about the security of that people of God, God says, I will be her walls. I will be her security. I will be like a wall of fire all around her. What a promise from God. You know that the Bible says, the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run into it and they are safe. Do you realize that if you are in Christ, you are as safe as safe can be? The Bible says that neither life nor death can separate you from the love of Jesus. I want to ask you here today, 
Are you trusting in Christ for the forgiveness of sins? Do you feel a security and safety in your life that is outside of you that is in God? Do you feel like while nothing else may bring you security, not family, not money, not health, not any of those things, because we know that they do not last forever, but that God and his promises and his son Jesus and the work that he's done on the cross and the resurrection from the grave to to show us his power, that that is a security to you and that God is your protector. The Bible describes God as a refuge. God is a shield, God is a shelter, God is the one that will protect us. Are we able to hear here today that when they're looking at a man trying to measure and they tell this guy to run over there and tell him, hey, you can't measure it, it's gonna be a multitude like without walls, that as soon as people started hearing that the people of God and the place of God would be a huge amount but it wouldn't have walls, they didn't start saying, wow, that's a lot of people, praise God. They started thinking, oh no, no walls, what's gonna be our security? And when they started wondering what is our security, this is when God spoke up and said, I will be. And I want to ask you right now that whether it be a trial that comes, whether it be a discouragement that comes your way, or whether it be, listen to me, the passing of your life, the declining of your health, whenever the time comes that you will finally admit that you need help, that you need God, what will be your security? And may you hear from Zechariah 2, the promises of God, where he says, I will be. I will be to the people of God a wall of fire all around. I will be to her a wall of fire all around, declares the Lord, and I will be the glory in her midst. What is it about the people of God that is so wonderful? Well, it is not us, but it is the presence of God. Our testimony has never been and never will be that we're so good or we're so nice or we do things so great because quite honestly, if we look around the world, the world is filled with lots of people who are doing good things and we never want to get into this comparison game. Remember, that's the whole point of measuring. If we want to say that we've done a lot or give a lot or we're nice or whatever, we can look around and find other people who are the same way. That is not our testimony. That is not our witness. The the, the testimony of the people of God is that God is in their midst, that God is near, that God is working, that his presence, that his peace, that his power, that his satisfaction, that his uh, foundation is in our lives. His peace is there. And so while he comforts that he will be the security, he will be the walls all around his people, he also says, I will be the glory in her midst. The testimony of the people of God is not look at us, but rather that God is in our midst. What a passage and what a vision. From there in our passage, now we see a response to this uh, light bulb turning on, what he sees. You can't measure Jerusalem. Go tell the guy that he can't measure it. It's so many people. It is such a multitude. You cannot measure it. He will be the walls. He will be the glory. And then they respond. Look at verse six. Up, up, flee from the land of the north, declares the Lord. For I have spread you abroad as the four winds of the heavens, declares the Lord. Up, escape to Zion, you who dwell with the daughter of Babylon. What's happening here 
is as God in the vision has shown that he is a savior, that he is a wall, he is a security, he is the glory in their midst, and that he is the one that defines who his people are. The measurement of God's people is something that can't be measured, only God knows. The, the, the obvious then for you and I is to say, I am that people of God. I do believe him. He is my father. I trust him. He's forgiven me of my sins. I know that Jesus died for me. I know that Christ is Lord, and I'm trusting that. And once we see this vision or read of Zechariah's vision, you and I are compelled or should be compelled to trust Christ and to have that God as our father, to have his glory to be in our midst, to have his protection over our lives. And so the call here is for these people, because the Israelites were living in captivity under Babylon. You knew that. Remember, Zechariah is a contemporary of Haggai, the minor prophet before this, and we've read that. And they had overtaken the people of Israel. This is just factual history in the world. The people of Israel and the people of Judah had been taken over. They were in captivity by the Babylonians. And since God's ultimate salvation is coming, then you know that the Babylonians will not have the last word. And so as he reminds them that he is their security, nothing's going to stop God from protecting his people. He now urges them with an urgency, up, up, flee, run, up, he says, escape to Zion, leave Babylon, leave the captivity, leave the disobedience, leave the sinfulness because... They were in the predicament they were in. They were captive. They were in, in that position because God was judging them because they had not trusted God. And so as they are reminded of this vision of God being a wall of fire of security, they are to see that God is their salvation and they are to trust that. Verse eight, for thus says the Lord of hosts, after his glory sent me to the nations who plundered you, for he who touches you touches the apple of his eye. Behold, I will shake my hand over them, and they shall become plunder for those who served them. Then you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me. Sing and rejoice, O daughter of Zion, for behold, I come, and I will dwell in your midst, declares the Lord. God is reminding them and comforting them here that though these nations are attacking and overtaking the people of Israel in this time, that God recognizes that they're doing that against him. And he even calls there his people the apple of his eye the one that is most precious in God's sight. And his glory will be there. And whoever it is that opposes God by opposing his people, God will deal with them. I want to remind you to think about this spiritually. Do not try to think about this so much nationally. God has defined his people as a spiritual people. You will find yourself in error trying to identify the people God as a national people where it is not characterized by a brokenness over sin, a repentance and faith in the glorious Lord Jesus Christ. That is harder to measure. When you try to think about it nationally, you start trying to measure it. You start trying to say this nation versus this nation, and this is happening then in the Old Testament time, thousands of years ago, and God wants us to think about this on a spiritual level. But notice, any opposition to God's people becomes an opposition to God, one that God says that he recognized and one that God says he will deal with. 
And as we are reminded that God is the, is the security to his people, we are then commanded in verse 10 to sing and rejoice aloud that God actually is a safe and securing God. He's one that will dwell in their midst, declares the Lord, it says. See, this is the, the hope and assurance of all who hope in Christ. The assurance of the believer is that God's kingdom is an eternal kingdom. It's not here on earth, so to speak, as much as it is in eternity. Now, God's kingdom is here on earth in the extent or in the sense that we are trusting in Christ. But remember, the reason why Jesus was crucified is because he didn't look like the king that they thought him to be. Remember, right before Jesus was killed, some 2,000 years ago, they had a conversation with him about, are you a king? He says, you say I'm a king. And since they didn't think him to be the king that they wanted him to be, this earthly king, they rejected him as being a king. But Jesus really is a king. He is the king of all kings. He is the king over everything. And even as we just sang and as the scriptures remind us, every knee will bow to Christ in the coming kingdom. He is the glorious Lord of all. And our passage today is wanting us to think about it in that big picture. It's wanting us to think spiritually. It's wanting us to be reminded that for those who oppose God, God will deal with, but for those who will believe God, there is security, there is hope, there is trust, there is comfort. And that's what he's saying. He even says in verse 10, I will dwell in your The believer understands the comfort that only God can bring. The world, wrestle, the world wrestles and struggles to find a true comfort. We think if we get healthier, then we'll have peace, but then we don't. We think of, well, if I get more, more money and I can get more financially stable, then, then I'll settle down. And what we found is that physically things settle down, but the spiritual side of us struggles to find rest. We may have the health, we may have the, the, the wealth, we may have these things taken care of, but we can't seem to find why we just aren't settled on the inside. Because life is spiritual. You will live beyond the grave. You're deeper than just your home and family, much deeper. And the answer to those desires on the inside, the answer to that guilt or shame or the answer to whatever it is that you're feeling is that God is a God that comes to us spiritually and can dwell in our midst, can be inside of us, can calm us down, be our security, give us peace and settle us. He is, he is, he is. And he's reminding them there, that's what you have to understand. If you're here today and you've not come to know God spiritually, would you? 
Would you pray to God and say, God, I believe, I trust in Christ, and I ask you to forgive me of my sins, and I want to be your child. And would you start following Christ in that way? Would you start thinking about it spiritually? Would you believe it when God says, I will be a wall to her, a wall of fire? When God says, I will be the glory in her midst. When God says, I will dwell in your midst. Will you believe those things? Verse 11, and many nations shall join themselves to the Lord in that day and shall be my people. I love to read the Bible. One of my biggest joys of being a pastor is just getting y'all to see some things that you've never read before. The minor prophets are full of in that day, and if you've been here, you've seen that, right? In that day, in that day, in that day, in that day. And it's speaking to these coming days when the Lord will return, when we see God's work going on in the world, when Jerusalem will be this multitude of people that cannot be measured. And I want you to know something. We right now are living in the days of this stuff happening, right? I share with you the stories coming from all over the world where God is working in so many ways. We can't measure those things. And you hear the statistics about all that God's doing. And you hear of this place where there there may be no churches. You hear of this place where there's maybe no Bibles. But as you get closer to those places, you hear that God is working in so many ways. If there are 500,000 people trusting in the word of God and following Christ in a nation somewhere else in the world... Well, as you see that as a statistic, it may still be that the nation is 99% anti-Christian. may still be that. But you get there and you see that there are hundreds of thousands of believers. Listen to what this says. And many nations will join themselves to the Lord in that day and shall be my people. One of the most glorious truths that we see going on in the world today, that nearly everywhere you go, there are people there that love Jesus, that are believing that he died on the cross for their sins. They may not be a majority, and the Bible says, or the Bible never says that it'll be a majority. Matter of fact, the words of Christ says that few find the kingdom of God and more don't. The Bible is promising us here that all nations from all places will come to know God because of what he's doing. He says again, and I will dwell in your midst and you shall know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you and the Lord will inherit Judah as his portion in the holy land and will again choose Jerusalem. And why this is so Important of a passage is because, remember, they are living in captivity because of their disobedience, and they did not have a temple, they did not have a a, a place to worship, it did not look like God was in their midst working, and so this guy says, I'm going to go measure it, man, it really looks like the people of God are really dwindling, doesn't look very strong, so I'm going to go measure it, right? And so often the measurements come when we're so distracted We're trying to hold on to if there's still some substance there, right? 
You know, when somebody gets really sick, they have to start weighing themselves every day, don't they? Man, I lost two pounds a day, lost three pounds yesterday, and last week I've lost 15 pounds. We have to start measuring all the time. Some of y'all doing well, you haven't, me- you haven't weighed yourself in how long? There's no need to measure your weight. You know you're doing okay. What we see here is that the people of God are in captivity. It doesn't look like God is there in their midst. He doesn't look like the saving God that he declares himself to be. It doesn't look like he reigns over the earth and he's the authoritative creator God, the father in heaven that made his world and is redeeming his people to know him and love him for his glory. It doesn't look like that. And so Zacharias, he's a guy running with a tape measure to say, let me measure it. Man, things look so bad, I gotta at least know that there's still something left. And that's when God speaks up and says, hey, run and tell that fella he can't measure it. It may not look right now like Jerusalem has it all together, but I will be their walls. I will be their glory. I will be in their midst. I, I, I. Notice that in the vision, the third vision in chapter two of Zechariah, that there is one sure and steady hope, and it is not at all what the people of God are going to do. Amen. But it is what God will do. I will, I will, I will, I will. And you know who's saying that? God is. So look at verse 13. The chapter ends. The vision's over. Chapter three starts a new and totally different vision. But look at verse 13. Be silent, all flesh, before the Lord. For he has roused himself from his holy dwelling. We want to talk about all that we are and all that we've done. You can tell me how tall you are or fast you are or how strong you are all day long. It doesn't mean anything. Because we'll pull out the scale or we'll pull out the tape measure and we'll say, well, prove it, buddy. The measurement will show us what we've done. But when the Bible wants to comfort us of what God is doing in the world, the angels start coming out saying, go tell that fella he can't measure it. Go tell that fella that he don't have a notepad that can count that high. Go tell that guy that he hasn't seen all that God is doing in the world of all the nations, of all the languages, of all the skin colors, of all the cultures and all the places and people in the world. They cannot measure what God is doing, but you better believe this. I will be there and I will protect them and I will be their security and anybody that opposes them, I will deal with them for they are the apple of my eye. I will dwell in their midst and I will be their glory and Zechariah in the midst of a time where there is not a lot of encouragement and comfort, Zechariah receives it. You know where it comes from? God. If you're here today and you're a pretty religious person, you go to church when you can, you say you believe, but you would admit that you're not spiritual according to God's truth. Would you do that today? Would you commit yourself to Christ? 
Would you believe in the words of God? And here's what I mean. Because if we're not careful, when I start speaking like this, I do, it sounds like I'm asking you to do something. That's what it sounds like a lot of times. And that's why it's important to be in a Bible study. That's why it's important to have a, uh, have a relationship with somebody that's a, that's a believer. Because it sounds like in a moment like this that I'm asking you to do something. Okay? It, it does sound like that. But what I'm really meaning is are you responding or will you respond to what God is doing? I do not want, and I have these conversations almost every day, I do not want to move you in the direction of you thinking something you do is doing something for you. I do want you to really sense that God is working in your life, that the truth of God is connecting with your heart and your mind. That your conviction that God is true, that you believe this is now working in you and that you want to know God and live for him. Make no mistake about it. This passage says, I will do it. It's what God's saying. God says the I will here. And what the real worship of God is in the world is a response to what God's doing. We want to be careful as a church. I want to be careful here in Fairdale, Kentucky. We want to be careful that we are not thinking that what we do is what it's all about. We want to do a lot. Last week was Teacher Appreciation Week. Our church gave out a free gift and an encouraging note to every single teacher at Fairdale High School. Our church gave out a free, a free gift and an encouraging note to every single teacher at Fairdale Elementary School. If there's a teacher in any of those schools, they got a note from our church saying, good job, keep it up, you're making a difference. We recognize what you're doing. And we want to do as much as we can in this community. We want to have our focus outside of this property and outside of this building. But make no mistake about it, church. May we communicate as clearly as we can that we're not proud of ourselves. And that's not our glory. Jesus is. And as you know, and as you sense that God is working in your life, may you start responding to that. May your life be, God is real, he's true, and I see him working in my life. May that begin with a commitment to Christ and turning to him for the forgiveness of sins. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for this third vision of Zechariah. Thank you, God, for how you're working in our lives. And thank you, God, for the inability to measure all that you're doing. And Father, sometimes our lives may look like you're not really working, but on the inside, we know it. And so, Lord, I pray that today you would keep working in us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. If you're here this morning and you think